Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Beyond the Bulletin Saint Edition, where we're going to keep talking to you about the Saints until you become one. <laughs> so last week, we kind of did a little bit of an apologetic, apologetic apologia coming from the Greek word, meaning to make a defense. In the, in the Christian church, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and following, talks about that we should always have a reason for the hope that is within us. Always be ready to have a defense for your Christian faith. That's a command by St. Peter in the Bible. Always be ready to have a reason for the hope that is within you. And so when we talk about the saints, a lot of people are on the struggle bus who are not Catholic about the reason why we have saints. Now, last week, our apologetic was around this understanding of the saints as being honorable and worthy of imitation, not in and of themselves, but as they imitate Christ. One of the most brilliant, brilliant analogies I've ever heard is the Blessed Virgin Mary as the moon. One time I asked a bunch of sixth graders, why is Mary like the moon? Kid literally said, because she's round. God help us all. I asked the kid what he meant by that. He, well, you know, Mary, she's always pregnant, right? And I was like, no, that's not. And if you know a pregnant woman, tell her she looks very thin. Um, the idea at its core of Mary and the moon being analogous is the moon derives all of its light from the sun. The moon merely reflects the light of the sun. So to the Blessed Virgin Mary, all the honor and praise that we give to her doesn't equal a single ounce of worship. Why? Because everything that we glorify Mary for is all from her son and her savior. So it's been really interesting initiating this last week with the first Beyond the Bulletin Saint Edition episode and preparing for, oh, I don't know, maybe 16 or 17 weeks heading forward. I don't know. It's a totally random number. Jay, do you know how many we're going to do with this? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe 16. We'll just cap it at 16. But the idea at this is I started talking to my daughter, Katiri, and doing her faith formation. And they're doing, uh, they're studying in their homeschooling program all about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we started walking through the life of Mary. Why does it matter that the Catholic Church says what it says about Mary? Well, if you open up the catechism of the Catholic Church, which I have over there somewhere, it'll say everything that we believe about Mary, every doctrine and dogma that the Catholic Church upholds about Mary safeguards what it teaches about Jesus. The title, for instance, Mother of God, Theotokos in the Greek, means Mother of God. Well, how does that defend Jesus? Well, is Jesus God? Yes, he's the second person of the Trinity. Do mommies give birth to natures or persons? Uh, last time I checked, and I've had we've had four kids so far, mommies give birth to persons, not natures. So Jesus is a divine person with a divine and human nature. So even the title Theotokos or mother of God safeguards what we believe about Jesus, that he is truly God and truly man, or what we say in the creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the father. I love, I love breaking down the creed and stuff like this. So as we talk about the saints, right, we want to understand why as Catholics do we honor them? And last week, the answer was because they are honorable, right? We want to honor those that are honorable. That's why in America, we build statues to people who have done good and are worthy of imitation, at least in one or two aspects of their life. So for instance, the Iwo Jima War Memorial. We aren't sitting there saying, let's worship these Marines who went on Iwo Jima. No, we raise the War Memorial to say, courage like that is what we need and let us never forget. The same is true about the Catholic Church. Our statues, our paintings, our artwork, our mosaics 
are all about the imitatio Christi. And I say that in Latin, so you're impressed with me and think I'm smart. The imitation of Christ is the center of it all. St. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what we want to do today is not just understand why we honor them, which we talked about last time, but how do we specifically follow in the footsteps of Christ as the saints did? Namely, our goal today is to talk about holiness. What does it mean to be holy? You know, so often I call this one of those drive-by terms that you'll hear in a homily or a talk, like God wants you to have holy marriages. God wants you to be a holy person. God wants you to be a saint and all of these things. And I had no idea what that meant, let alone how is it practical to do that, to be holy? What does that even look like? And I don't know about you, but I have the entire collection of Butler's Lives of the Saints. You crack those puppies open, you read a biography or two, you put it down and you despair of ever being holy. I had one friend who was talking to me and she's going to go nameless because she might know who she is because she's employed here. She said, I am, uh, she's like, I'm really sad because I was reading the life of Mother Teresa and I'm reading about her prayer life. And she said, I could never be as holy as Mother Teresa. And I said to her, Mother Teresa probably wasn't as holy as the author of this book is making it seem. But you also have to remember, Mother Teresa was like 800 years old when she died. We need to realize that she has been plugging away consistently at a life of charity, love of God and love of neighbor for the sake of God for years. And this individual was in her 20s. I'm like, give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. We all need to be more patient with ourselves when it comes to our walk towards holiness, but not so patient that we give permission to sin, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you need to crawl before you walk, before you run in the spiritual life. If you're a crawler and you're looking at runners, you're going to despair, but that's because you haven't done the steps. You haven't put in the time. You haven't earned it. You know, the famous book by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, talks about 10,000 hours to become an expert or to gain mastery over something. Think about that in terms of your prayer life, right? We need time invested. Quantity is a quality all of its own. So when you step back, we start to realize, okay, so being holy is an investment. It's about cultivating my life. Okay, now here's the weird thing. As a gentleman, I consume... Uh, hours and hours of YouTube videos. And watching all of these YouTube videos, I come across some real money quotes in these things. So one day I was watching this hilarious channel. Jay, you ever heard of Dude Dad? No. Dude Dad. Dude Dad is so funny. He's a he's a guy, he's remodeling his home while putting on sketch comedy. What could be better than that? And he did this one, every so often he'll do like a serious like video like this, you know. And he was talking about how he had no idea how to discipline his toddler. Toddler going nuts. Everyone who's listening to this who's been a parent of young kids knows no one drives you more insane than toddlers, right? You're like, you expect so much of them, and yet they are capable of so much mischief. Um, and so he was talking about how he read these books, and he was talking, and he said here, and this is the, the money quote, he said, so often I thought of discipline as punishment, but the word discipline means teaching. So if I think, oh, I'm a really big into discipline, what we translate that is, I'm really big into, into punishment, not I'm a great teacher. But the word discipline is where we get the word disciple. A disciple is someone who is a student, someone who has adopted the disciplines. When we apply that to holiness, we are disciples of Jesus. So we adopt from him the disciplines that make us like him. Be imitators of me 
as I am of Christ. So this is the call to holiness that is at the center of the Christian walk. You and I, if we want to grow in holiness, it means to grow into the image of Christ, who's the infinite image of the invisible God, as St. Paul says in Colossians. So Jesus is the infinite, eternal image of the Father, and we're the finite and very broken images of the Father. Then to follow Christ means we are walking in our sonship and our daughterhood in imitatio Christi, in imitation of Christ. There was that Latin again, so you know I'm still smart. So the Old Testament word for holiness is kadush. The, the Hebrew word means to be set apart. And what that means very practically is like, here is a cup. This one I use to drink at dinner time, but this is a chalice reserved for service at the temple. This is kadush. It is set apart. And you even get this in the, in the idea of the Latin. You have something that is sacred and something that is profane. The Latin profanum. Pro means in front of or before. So if it's profanum, it's in front of the temple. So to profane something means you take something sacred that belongs in the temple and you pull it out of there. To profane something means to desacralize it or a sacrilege. Okay, so the reason why this is important is the Hebrew concept, kadush, of understanding what does it mean to be holy. It means to be set apart for holiness, for sacred work. God set his people Israel apart. You ever read the Old Testament and you're like, why the heck could they not cut their hair at their temples? And why did they get circumcised at eight days? And why couldn't they wear clothing that blended fabrics? And why couldn't they do this? And why couldn't they do that? And why couldn't? Why, why, why? It's because God is trying to make of the people of Israel a particular people, a peculiar people. He's trying to set them apart because they were apart. They were called, and this is that other part of holiness, they were called to be a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, where the whole people were set apart from God. But what is over and over again, especially in the book of Judges, we find, we find that the people of Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. So instead of being set apart, they wanted to be profaned, right? And then we have the ultimate arrival of God's firstborn son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten one. Jesus enters into the story of Israel, but in him living a life of perfect Kadushness, which is, Jay, I think you can admit, that's an awesome word. Kadushness? Kadushness. There it is, right? That's pretty good. That is pretty good. So the idea of Jesus living a life set apart diametrically opposed how the Pharisees interpreted Kadush. So for the, the Pharisees, the very word means um, the set apart ones in Aramaic, the parushim, those who are set apart. And they thought they were living extreme holiness by having nothing to do with the nations. But Jesus revealed the very heart of our Heavenly Father. Your life is to be set apart, not from other people, but from sin. Not from externals like, uh, you know, the different foods you eat. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. Don't say this. Don't do that. But in sin. And so Jesus radically and internally intensified the Mosaic law in giving us the new law of the New Testament. But he also gave us, and this is the most important thing, he gave us the Holy spirit, right? You belong to God. You belong to God by virtue of your valid baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When you emerge from baptism, you are in Christ and you are now a new creation. You belong to God. You are adopted because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship. So now that you're in God's family, 
What we are called to do is to live the life of our elder brother in faith, to live the life of Christ. That's what it means to be a son or daughter of the Father. That's what holiness means. But no longer is holiness defined as being an ethnic group or a bloodline that is set apart from others and needs to quarantine itself from others. No, 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 no. We are set apart only as Christ is set apart. He was like us in all things except sin. So you and I, as Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount, be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be you holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Well, how do I do that? You can't do that. You need the Holy Spirit to dwell in your mortal bodies, making you, therefore, holy. Even your body is holy. In fact, your physical body is what the Jewish temple was. That is, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you are now holy. You are now Kaddush, set apart not, not from other people, but set apart from sin. You have been called into a new life. You are in the world, but not of the world. That's what holiness means in the Christian dispensation. So now we dive into St. Paul in the letter to the Romans, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, not just your souls, this isn't a spiritual only thing, we're both body and soul, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So how do we worship? Well, not just the body of Christ that was offered on the cross 2,000 years ago, and that same body united by the, or united, that same body that transforms or transubstantiates that bread into his very resurrected, glorified body in the Eucharist. But the sacrifice of the mass is joined to my own sacrifices. Now, when you sacrifice something, you kill it. But St. Paul is saying, because you have the Holy Spirit within your bodies, you now can live a sacrificial life. Well, Jay, I don't. does that sound appealing to you? I mean, not really, right? Not really, right? We, like, hey, live your death. Oh, living death and dying life. That's how St. John of the Cross characterized being a Christian. Now, what does that mean? Well, look at the words of Jesus. If you want to be a disciple of mine, take up your cross every day, deny yourself, and follow me. Jay, do you know where Jesus went uh, when he was carrying his cross? Did he go to, did he go to McDonald's? Did he go to the Marriott? Where did he go? Golgotha or Cal- Calvary, Canada. No, Calgary. Uh, (laughs) So the whole idea of taking up our cross, the very baseline call of us Christians is to carry our cross, is to be a living sacrifice. But think about that. You, You had different types of animals called clean and unclean. What makes them clean and unclean? Well, the clean animals were the only animals allowed in Jewish temple sacrificial worship. You couldn't offer an unclean animal in the temple. That would be profane, right? That would be sacrilegious. And so what St. Paul is saying is, okay, you know that whole temple thing that we used to do and the clean and unclean? Well, Jesus's blood, the once for all sacrifice, made you clean, right? His blood washed away your sins. In fact, he is the ultimate living sacrifice because he rose from the dead. When his body was sacrificed, he then rose from the dead. So that's why the book of Revelation calls him the lamb standing as though he'd been slain. So there's a notion that he is the living sacrifice. And now by your baptism, you're in him. Now your whole life is a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, offered up as our worship. So what is our worship? To be living sacrifices. Okay, and the verse continues, verse two. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to live a life of holiness. The way we live that life of holiness is first by surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit who takes what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago and through the power of the sacraments imparts those sacred gifts to you, right? So now you have faith, you have hope, you have charity. You can begin to live a life that gives glory to God. You can live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ that you've been given because he is the once for all sacrifice who lives forever in heaven. You and I can become daily living sacrifices so that we can live a life of holiness. Not holiness is defined from distance from the world, but holiness that is defined by loving people with the love of Christ Jesus. So we step back and we say, okay, well, what does it mean to start to do this. Well, you and I can't love people with our love. Have you met me? I'm a train wreck. Ask my wife. She can tell you so many stories of how terrible. You know, I broke up with her like six times before we got married. I was a terrible dater. Terrible dater. I'm a wonderful husband-ish, but a terrible dater. Now, here's the deal. You don't want to be loved with my love. You want to be loved with the love of Jesus Christ. Ladies, men, everyone listening, no one has ever loved you more or better then Jesus Christ loves you right now. This is so important for us to ground our love in what he has done for us first. As St. John says in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, it is not that we loved God, but rather that he loved us and gave his son as an expiation for our sins. So mindful of that, you and I need to take up a cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. The disciplines of the church are not punishments, right? The disciplines are the way that we conform ourselves to him. The way that we conform ourselves to him. So that's the call. That's what it means to be a Christian, to adopt those virtues that Christ himself had. Humility. Humility, which as St. Paul says in, uh, what is it, in Philippians, where he says, humbly regard others as more important than yourself. <gasps> Have you ever done that? I hate doing that. Let me tell you, humility is horrible. It is so difficult. But imagine God became one of us and then we crucified him. There is literally nothing more humiliating than that. Oh, wait, what if the very way we worship God, the height of human worship of God is God become man and then God took out his humanity and his divinity and feeds it to us through the Eucharist? What could be more humiliating than that? that we, at any given moment, can profane the Eucharist. C.S. Lewis one time said, next to the Holy Eucharist, your neighbor is the most holy thing you will ever know because your neighbor's made in the image of God. And so love of God leads us to love of neighbor. That's why St. John says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, is a liar. How can you say, you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen. So the idea in Christianity, I'm going to end on this note. I know I keep talking. The idea in Christianity 
is that Jesus Christ unites the love of God with the love of neighbor, not collapsing God and neighbor into one another, but saying it is a counterfeit love if you say you're good with God, but not your brother or sister, not your neighbor. Right? Jesus says, if you have anything against your brother, leave your gift on the altar and then go reconcile with your brother, which is why we do the whole peace be with you right before the, the Eucharist. The whole trajectory of Jesus Christ in the Gospels is to annihilate that pagan temple worship that says, I'm squared up with the deity, me and Zeus are good, therefore I can abuse you, I can discard you, I can reject you. Right now I'm reading to my kids the great story of the Trojan Wars, the Iliad and the Odyssey. I don't know if you can tell this, but I am a nerd. And over and over again, there's these things where they're like, hey, the war's not going well. Are you okay with Zeus or Athena or Aphrodite? Are things going well with you? And then they go and do a sacrifice or do this or do that. Christianity, Jesus annihilates that. Don't even bring your gift to the altar if you're irreconciled with your brother reconcile, then come before God. You can't come and say, I love you, God, but I hate you, neighbor. Jesus demands and commands us to unite the two. And that's what Christian holiness is. The disciplines that allow me to love God with my whole mind, my whole heart, my whole uh, body, my whole strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. You begin to develop the disciplines of prayer, which enable you to love God the love of the liturgy as it ought to be done. And that drives up your love of not just of God, but then of the community. And then when you leave the church filled with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, reinforcing the grace already within you with more sacramental graces, you learn to love your neighbor as yourself, especially your enemies. And when you start loving your enemies, no one on the face of this earth can deny the God you worship. Why? Because no one on the face of this earth is worth loving your enemies or will ever motivate you to love your enemies other than the God who died for us while we were yet still sinners. While we were yet enemies of God, God showed his love for us by the absolute humiliation of Christ on the cross. But in so doing, those who were far off and those who were near are now united in Christ. Holiness then is always unifying. Holiness seeks the good of the beloved. It is the beautiful gift of self to God and to our neighbor because of the love of God. So next week, we're going to talk about the powerful intercession of the saints, and we're going to talk about the wackiness of us Roman Catholics who take chunks of dead saints and surround ourselves with it when we engage in holy worship. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about relics as well. Look forward to having you back again next week, same time, same channel. We're diving into the glory of the intercession of the saints. Peace out.